Did you know that it only takes 10 minutes to read these three chapters out loud? Um, I know because I timed myself. <laughs> I'm not going to read them all back to back, but I was just wondering. I was like, okay, I'm preparing for tonight. Okay, Lord, how is it that you want us to approach your word, to approach three chapters? And so I said, okay, let me time myself, see how long it'll take uh, to read these three chapters out loud in, you know, my best teacher voice as I could. And that was... Um, it was a good exercise, it was reassuring, and at the same time it was convicting. Because how often do I make excuses that I don't have enough time, right, for God's word, enough time to really just devote time to his presence. And yet all it took was 10 minutes to pour through three chapters. So I, you know, I'm convicted, and of course I had to share that with all of you here tonight, um, to make the time to find those 10 minutes a day. You know, we have an awesome Bible reading plan with our church. And I do understand that seasons, you know, especially this season of the holidays and stuff can be very full and there could be a lot on our plates. So if going through the Old and New Testament just isn't doable, like, you know, you can barely have a bathroom break because you have toddlers that, you know, decide that they need to be at your ankles at all times, maybe just go through the New Testament right, portion of those, of those Bible reading plans, but surely we have wasted 10 minutes every day this week, possibly, you know, so just that encouragement. So like I was mentioning, we're not going to read all three chapters back to back. As a matter of fact, our key verse um, that we're going to look at is just one verse and then four words after that. So we'll pray, and then I'll read that, and then we'll dive into our teaching. Lord, again, we just thank you so much that your presence is with us here tonight, Lord. And that's really what we're seeking, Lord, is just to hear from you, to see your face. God, would you correct us? Would you help us to make our actions and our decisions follow through with our heart that desires to love you more, God? And so I pray that you would encourage each and every one of my sisters when it comes to their time, Lord, that they would spend with you, that they would not let tonight end before, God, just renewing that covenant to seek your face every day, Lord. Um, even as these three chapters starts off with Joshua waking up early, Lord, I pray that that would be our desire, that we would set those alarm clocks just 10 minutes earlier, God, to seek you um, Lord, that we would put the electronics and the screens and the distractions to the side, Lord, because you are worthy, God, and you deserve so much more. So, Lord, speak to us tonight. Thank you that you already have spoken to us, Lord, through our groups and time of fellowship and time of worship, Lord. And we're just so, so grateful, Lord, that you would want to speak to us. Lord, I pray that we would take your words to heart and we would do something about it, Lord. We love you, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. So our key verse, we're going to pick up towards the end of the three chapters and then jump back to the beginning. It's found in Joshua chapter 5, verse 13. Joshua chapter 5, verse 13. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted his eyes and looked. And behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? 
And he said, no. No. Um, There's this Christian comedian, his name is Tim Hawkins, and he has a bit where he talks about the many fun ways there are to tell your kids no. It's, it's really great. Um, he, he mimics like the voice of his little kids. Daddy, daddy, please, can you buy me this? Can you buy me this? And he goes, hmm, let me think about it. No. And he does like all these really funny um, just body language and gestures things. He's like, daddy, daddy, can I please sleep over there? He's like, this old man, he said, no. <laughs> And it goes on and on. And uh, as a boy mom, I've probably seen all of these uh, Tim Hawkins videos more than once. And they're really fun. If you and your family are looking for, you know, some good clean laughs, I do recommend him. It's pretty funny. He has this whole thing on, like, parenting songs. And just, it's like, they're just those days where you're like, wow, thanks for getting me. Thanks for (laughs) understanding the struggle. And he has other um, just really funny uh, Christian comedian type things. But... In all seriousness, there is freedom in the no. Those of you who are parents, we shouldn't deny our kids the gift of simply saying no. In her book, The Shaping of a Christian Family, Elizabeth Elliot encourages us as parents to teach our children no and come as their first two words. No and come. And I wonder how different our society would be if more families took that advice to heart. Know and come. Side note, here's a little encouragement to us moms tonight from Elizabeth Elliot. In that same book, she writes, God knows the feelings of discouragement, inadequacy, and failure which conscientious parents feel. But it was his idea to make them parents and to give them this particular set of children. He knew they would not do a perfect job. He is father to the parents and promises every kind of help they need. He stands beside them in every situation, ready to give wisdom as needed and grace to help in time of need, if only they will turn to him and ask for it. Now, before you tune out, if you're not a mom, That's sort of the the title of today's teaching. No, but why, right? No, but why? God has so many, many reasons for telling us no. And the first one, we'll jump back to Joshua chapter three. As I said, we would do heading back to the first of these three uh, chapters. The first reason is because we need direction, We need direction. And we see that in the first four verses of Joshua chapter 3. They read, Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from the Acacia Grove and came to the Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and lodged there before they crossed. So it was after three days that the officers went through the camp, and they commanded the people, saying, When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. (sighs) Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you must go. 
for you have not passed this way before. And again, just those key words in verse four. God says, do not come near it. God starts off this set of chapters, this set of verses in these three chapters, better said, by giving a command to not do something. And he says, why? Because you've never been this way before. We need his direction. God's guidance comes as often through closed doors as it does through open ones. We see throughout the book of Acts how the Spirit led Paul both by, again, opening up doors for him and at the same time forbidding him to go in other places. Ladies, if you're hearing no from the Lord in one direction, it's because he's leading you in a different way, right? We need to be responsive to when God tells us no. The next reason is because we need sanctification. So the first one was in verses one through four, we need direction. And the second reason is because we need sanctification. And we'll look at just two verses, five and six there. And Joshua said to the people, sanctify yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Then Joshua spoke to the priests saying, take up the ark of the covenant and cross over before the people. So they took up the ark of the covenant and went before the people. Sanctification, when I clicked on that word in the Strong's Concordance, According to the outline of its biblical usage, it means to keep oneself apart from unclean things. Keep oneself apart from unclean things. Consecrate oneself by purification. In other words, ladies, to be dedicated wholly to be holy. All of us, right? Our entire being holy to be holy. And this idea of sanctification is not just an Old Testament thing, right? It's not just something that was like, oh, what the priest did in Exodus. No, we see sanctification also in the New Testament. Jesus desired it for his disciples. John 17, 17 tells us, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. This was Jesus' desire was sanctification for his disciples. Paul prays for it. In 1 Thessalonians 5.23, he finishes his epistle saying, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Peter, he commands it. He straight out says, he straight up says in 1 Peter 3.15, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. So we need direction. We need sanctification. We also need to be reminded of his dominion. We need reminders of his dominion. And we'll pick up in verse 7 through 11 for this next point. It says, And the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. In verse 8, You shall command the priests who bear the ark of the covenant, saying, When you have come to the edge of the water of the Jordan, you shall stand. 
in the Jordan. So Joshua said to the children of Israel, come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, by this you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Hivites and the Perizzites and the Girgashites and the insert corny joke about mosquito bites and gigabytes and the Amorites and the Jebusites. God is sovereign His dominion is something that we constantly need to be reminded of. Um, Speaking of that Bible reading plan that we have as a church, recently we've been going through Jeremiah. And in chapter 10 of Jeremiah, you don't have to turn there. You can if you're quick, but it's Jeremiah 10, verses 10 through 12. And it reads, but the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting king. At his wrath, the earth will tremble, and the nations will not be able to endure his indignation. Thus you shall say to them, the gods that have not made the heavens and the earth shall perish from the earth and from under these heavens. He has made the earth by his power. He has established the world by his wisdom and has stretched out the heavens at his, direct, at his discretion. So why does God tell us no sometimes? Because he can. He's God. He made the world. You don't want God to tell you no? Go make your own world. And then you don't have to hear no from him anymore. Let's not forget, even as we're going through all these reasons that he does tell us no sometimes, because he does love us and he does care for us. And his thoughts for us and his plans for us are for good and not for evil, to give us a hope and a future. Let's not forget that God does not ever owe us an explanation for his will. He has every right to say no as often as he'd like, in as many situations as he'd like, to as many people as he'd like, and he does not have to answer to anybody. Don't get it twisted, right? Why does God tell us no? Because we need to be reminded of his sovereignty, of his dominion. He tells us no because he can. But he also tells us no because we need faith-filled action. Faith-filled action. And we'll see that in the next couple of verses, verses 12 through 17. And Joshua is going to give now these instructions to the people. Picking up in verse 12. Now, therefore... Take for yourselves 12 men from the tribe of Israel, one man from the tribe of one man from every tribe. And it shall come to pass, as soon as the soles of the feet of the priest who bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off, the waters that come down from upstream, and they shall stand as a heap. Verse 14, so it was when the people set out from their camp to cross over the Jordan with the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And as those who bore the Ark came to the Jordan and the feet of the priest who bore the Ark dipped in the edge of the water for the Jordan overflows all its banks during the whole time of harvest that the waters which came down from upstream stood still. 
and rose in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zaretan. So the waters that went down into the sea of the Arabah, the salt sea, failed and were cut off, and the people crossed over opposite Jericho. Then the priest who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel crossed over on dry ground until all the people had crossed completely over the Jordan. Wonders are wrought through obedience. That's how they happen. The Lord desired to work wonders, and these were only possible with faith-filled action because God says no. Right? Maybe they wanted to wait on that side of the Jordan because, hello, it's harvest time and the banks are overflowing with water. But God said, no, cross now. Let the priests who bear the ark go before you and watch me work. Ladies, if we're struggling with obedience in certain areas of our lives, it shows that we lack faith. I'm reminded of um, a simple song from when I was in Sunday school. It says, trust and obey, for there is no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Do you trust him? Then you'll obey him. If you're having a hard time obeying him, it's because you're not really trusting him. And it almost sounds silly to say that out loud. Me? Not trust Jesus, the Savior of my soul, the one whom I know is going to take me into eternity that has purchased my life on the cross? Of course I trust him. And yet we see later on in chapter 5, verse 6, that because of disobedience, a whole generation did not get to cross this Jordan, right? They didn't get to see these wonders that their children got to see because they doubted. And they let that doubt lead to action rather than their faith. Ladies, we need to trust him more. We need to obey him. We need to take those steps of faith-filled action. And the next thing we need to do is we need the next generation. We need the next generation. My sisters, our example matters. Our example matters. And we'll dive in to chapter 4. These 23 verses are all about what the Lord wants us to remember of what just happened. Isn't that cool? The Lord encourages this whole generation, right, that, that saw their fathers because of their disobedience scattered throughout the wilderness. And he says, you need to remember this. And the next generation needs to remember this. So it's a lot of verses, 23 of them. It's going to be less than 10 minutes. We already established that. So stay with me as we read. And it came to pass when all the people had completely crossed over the Jordan that the Lord spoke to Joshua saying, Take for yourselves 12 men from the people one man from every tribe, and command them, saying, Take for yourselves twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet stood firm. You shall carry them over with you and leave them in the lodging place where you lodge tonight. 
Then Joshua called the 12 men whom he had appointed from the children of Israel, one man from every tribe. And Joshua said to them, cross over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan. And each one of you take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, saying, what do these stones mean to you? Verse 7, then you shall answer them, that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. And these stones shall be for a memorial to the children of Israel forever. And the children of Israel did so, just as Joshua commanded, and took up twelve stones from the midst of the Jordan, as the Lord had spoken to Joshua according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel and carried them over with them to the place where they lodged and laid them down there. Verse 9, Then Joshua set up twelve stones in the midst of the Jordan in the place where the feet of the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant stood, and they are there to this day. So the priests who bore the Ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until Everything was finished that the Lord had commanded Joshua to speak to the people according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua. And the people hurried and crossed over. Then it came to pass when all the people had completely crossed over that the ark of the Lord and the priests crossed over in the presence of the people. And the men of Reuben and the men of Gad and the half tribe of Manasseh crossed over armed before the children of Israel, as Moses had spoken to them. In verse 13, about 40,000 prepared for war crossed over before the Lord for battle to the plains of Jericho. On that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they feared him as they had feared Moses all the days of his life. Then the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Command the priests who bear the ark of the testimony to come up from the Jordan, Joshua therefore commanded the priest, saying, Come up from the Jordan. And it came to pass when the priest who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord had come from the midst of the Jordan, and the soles of the priest's feet touched the dry land, that the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed all its banks as before. In verse 19, Now the people came up from the Jordan on the tenth day of the first of the month, and they camped in Gilgad on the east border of Jericho. And those 12 stones, which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up in Gilgal. Then he spoke to the children of Israel, saying, When your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What are these stones? Then you shall let your children know, saying, Israel crossed over this Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed over. Ladies, we need the next generation. Our example matters. You know, it could be tempting to think like, oh, we need to teach the next generation or, oh, we need, you know, to pass on these memorial stones to the next generation. And yes, that's true, right? All of us in this room, if you're old enough to be in ladies, that means you're old enough to have someone look up to you. 
And yes, we do need to pass along what the Lord has taught us. But do you know that we also need them to keep our examples in check? Because we know they're watching, right? It's not just so much what I have to pass down as much as what am I currently being as an example to those younger than me in my walk with the Lord. And just as a side note, when I think of the fact that all the people crossed, right? And then there was these 12 guys appointed to go back into the midst of the Jordan. I wonder what went through their mind. They're like, um, I know what had happened in the Red Sea. Um, those waters didn't stay up for very long. And I don't know if you noticed, but it's harvest time. And these banks are kind of overflowing. So I don't know if they, you know, they did that big gulp. All right, Lord, here we go. And then it's not only cross back into the middle of the Jordan, it's here, take this heavy rock. You know, like these guys have not been taking swim lessons. You know, there was no mommy and me swimming class out in the wilderness in these 40 years that they were in the desert. So it's like, okay, yeah, sure. Let me take this heavy burden in the midst of a raging river and walk back out here. But they did it in faith. And they did it for the next generation. And they did it for themselves. So perhaps you're thinking, Lord, this heavy stone is too much to bear. You're calling me to an impossible place. How am I ever going to get from the midst of this river that I think is going to overwhelm me at any second? Don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. One day, that next generation is going to ask you, what does this mean to you? And you'll be able to say, the Lord brought me through. And you'll bring him glory, remembering how he brought you through the impossible to the other side of the Jordan. So whatever that burden is that's on your shoulder tonight, know that the Lord sees you and that he loves you and he's strengthening you and you will glorify him from the midst of that impossible place. We not only need the next generation, we also need to share our salvation. We need to, to share our salvation with the nations because our testimony matters our example matters to the next generation, and our testimony matters when we think of our salvation. And verse 24 sums up that next point for us. It says that all the peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Forever. We need to share our salvation, our testimony matters. And as the world looks on at you, as the world looks on at your kids, or maybe as you spend your time at work, you know, your diligence there, as the world looks on, they're gonna be able to see, man, that lady, she fears the Lord. She loves him. There's something different about her. And our salvation, our testimony will glorify the Lord. It'll show that he is mighty forever. Now we jump into chapter 5, and, uh, you know, nothing like a ladies' Bible study to talk about circumcision, um, but <laughs> the point here is that we need consecration, and so I'll just read those nine verses, I'll read a little something of what David Guzik had to say about that, and 
you know, it's just 10, you know, the 10 minutes that it took reading those verses. It just, we ran, we're running out of time. Okay, <laughs> chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. So it was when all the kings of the Amorites who were on the west side of the Jordan and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan from before the children of Israel until we had crossed over, that their hearts melted. And there was no spirit in them any longer because of the children of Israel. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives for yourself and circumcise the sons of Israel again a second time. So Joshua made flint knives for himself and circumcised all the sons of Israel at the hill of foreskin. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the people who came out of Egypt who were males, all the men of war had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. For all the people who came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness on the way as they came out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness till all the people who were men of war who came out of Egypt were consumed because they did not obey the voice of the Lord to whom the Lord swore that he would not show them the land which the Lord had sworn to their fathers that he would give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. Then Joshua circumcised their sons whom he raised up in their place, for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. So it was when they had finished circumcising all the people that they stayed in their places in the camp till they were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, This day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you, Therefore, the name of the place is called Gilga to this day. Verses 1 through 9 of chapter 5 remind us that we need consecration. David Guzik has this to say about these verses. Circumcision has always, was always a powerful act of consecration to God. In it, an Israelite said, I am not like the other nations. I listen to God and do what he says I should do. It was stepping out in faithful obedience and identifying yourself as one of the Lord's people. It was renouncing the flesh and the world. It was dying to self and living to God. Dying to self and living to God. And I love how he worded that. It was stepping out in faithful obedience and identifying yourself as one of the Lord's people. That's what consecration is. It's saying my, the biggest aspect of my identity is that I am a child of God, right? Like that we sang tonight. And that means I'm going to renounce the things of this world and not look like them, not act like them, not talk like them and dress like them. But I am set apart unto the Lord. I also wanted to note that so much of the, the book of Joshua, when it comes to like their battle plans, it's like, it doesn't make sense, right? So if someone's going to war, right? Like a physical war, you probably wouldn't turn to the book of Joshua for strategy because it's like, what? You know, you're about to face all these dangerous kings and it's like, I know, we're gonna need a 
you know what we're gonna do to all of our warriors is we're just gonna like incapacitate them for you know a few days and it made no sense. But the Lord knew that because of what he did, right, in the crossing of Jordan, that no enemy was gonna dare attack them in this time of healing, right? What, that would have been a really short book of Joshua. It's like they were all circumcised and then the Amorites came and the end, right? Because all the men of war couldn't fight back. But instead we see, right, those, those verses, that verse one in the beginning, that their hearts were melted. So they were like, what are they going to do next? What's the next thing their God is going to do? And so they were able to fully heal and know that their families were taken care of because of their obedience. So ladies, if the Lord is calling you into a greater consecration, and maybe you're worried about how that's going to affect you with your job or with your family, do it. Just do it. Be dedicated to the Lord. He will protect you like he did his people here. In verse 10, we need reminders of his redemption. We need reminders of his redemption. That's why sometimes God tells us no. And it's just um, that one verse, verse 10, where it talks about the Passover, where we see that. Now the children of Israel camped in Gilgah and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at twilight on the plains of Jericho. In the same way, right, we need to be in constant remembrance of our redemption at Calvary, right? So Passover was to remind the children of Israel of their redemption from Egypt, and we need to live our lives in the shadow of the cross. The Israelites had Passover. Christ gave us communion where we could remember the, the cost of our redemption, Verses 11 and 12 show us that we need his provision. So verse 10 was, we need reminders of his redemption. And verse 11 and 12, we need his provision. Let's go ahead and read those two verses. Picking up in verse 11. And they ate of the produce of the land on the day after the Passover, unleavened bread and parched grain on the very same day. Then the manna ceased on the day after they had eaten the produce of the land. And the children of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate the food of the land of Canaan that year. And those two verses were so sweet to me going through the study of Joshua this time. There was something about that one day of overlap that was like, God, you know that we are weak. You know that if the children of Israel woke up one morning and there was no manna, that they probably wouldn't have thought to like eat the produce of the land. <laughs> Even though God had provided all this bounty, they would have just been like freaking out. So I love this, the, the patience of our Lord, right? That one day of overlap. And the provision during the wilderness season was miraculous, right? Now, as they entered into the promised land, the provision was much more natural, but it was still an expression of God's mercy. They didn't plant those trees. They hadn't tilled that ground, right? They didn't deserve any of the produce from that land. Even though the land was the source of their provision, there were still rules that applied to it, much like when they were gathering the manna. They were still supposed to take a year of Sabbath. They were still supposed to observe a year of Jubilee when it came to the land. There was a godly way to gather the produce in the same way that there was a godly way to gather the manna. 
And, well, they didn't do that, but, you know, that's okay. <laughs> For now, we just see that God's provision is what we need. And sometimes that's why the Lord says no. Sometimes he's like, okay, the manna's going to stop. Now it's time to work the land. And it's still an expression of his mercy, that provision. But it's a good reminder. Our last point is that we need him. We need him. And um, it's just the close of these three chapters. I'm so delighted we were able to study tonight. It says, And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? So he said, No, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take your sandals off your foot for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. Many scholars believe that this is a pre-incarnate manifestation of Christ himself. Remember in the garden of Gethsemane when Jesus is arrested, how he says, don't you know I can call down more than 12 legions of angels, right? And so when you think of the Lord as the commander of the armies, and he says that a word, he would have had all those angels at his disposal. The commander of the army of the Lord, Jesus himself, appeared to Joshua. And if you notice, all of the points that we had tonight, they end in I-O-N, right? Direction, sanctification, dominion, action, generation, salvation, consecration, redemption, provision. And if you say I-O-N backwards, it says no I, right? He must increase and I must decrease. John 3 verse 30. We need him we need to decrease so that he might increase. Joshua would have missed out on this vision of the Lord Jesus himself if he had insisted on an answer different from no. If he had stood there as the commander said no and said, but why? He would have missed out on knowing that that was Jesus, that that was his Joshua speaking to Joshua. Our heavenly, fathers, our heavenly Father knows what we have need of. Let us not get caught up in the wrong questions. It's not a matter of whether or not he is on our side. The question is, will we be on his? If you're in a season of life where it seems that the Lord's answers to you have just been a long string of no's, be encouraged that victory is right around the corner. One commentator puts it this way. Before Israel could conquer anything else in the promised land, they had to be conquered by God. And Joshua's total submission shows that they are conquered by him. This is the missing element in a life of victory for many Christians. They have not been and are not continually being conquered by God. In the same way that a loving parent tells her child no, the commander of angel armies will often tell us no, but it's for our good. It's no longer the question of no, but why, but it's no more, but why, 
right? Say no to that question, but why? And just surrender to God's will, even when it means no. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you for the no's that you've given us in our life when we've asked you for things that were less than your perfect will. God, would you strengthen us to trust you, to obey you fully? Give my sisters a safe ride home, Lord. Thank you. Lord, help us to trust you. And it's in your name I pray. Amen.